0: One interview that I did last week, one of the questions was, what's a question that you wish people would never ask you in interviews anymore? And I said, anything relating to Playboy. To me, it's just like, it was not that big of a deal.
1: This is Noor Tagori, and she sounds like she's had enough. Despite being a successful journalist who's produced an award-winning docuseries turned podcast called Sold in America, she still got mistaken in Vogue for another Muslim woman, And in another publication, she got mistaken for a terrorist's wife. Admittedly, that's how I know her. Back in 2016, when she became the first hijab-wearing Muslim featured in Playboy, I became really interested in her career. Had she not sparked that controversy, I can't be so sure that I'd even know her name. But it turns out that that fallout was just a tiny part of what she had to deal with. I'm Eamon Ismail, and you're listening to Man Up. On this show every week, we tell honest stories about our lives and investigate where we get our ideas about what it means to be a man. And the unfortunate truth is, my opinions don't really matter. But I really like to share them. Whether on this show or at home with friends, I always feel entitled to give my opinion as if the person I'm talking to was starving for my feedback. They rarely are. But that doesn't stop me. I usually think of it as harmless, but I'm wondering if that's because I'm not under the same amount of scrutiny as many women. Which is why I wanted to talk to Noor. Unfortunately, she knows better than most what it feels like to have everything she's doing under a close watch. When the Playboy story came out, it was an international story. Seriously. People were commenting on it from countries that couldn't even access her interview with the magazine. It wasn't the kind of photo shoot you might normally associate with Playboy. She's dressed in a leather jacket and jeans. She was one of many subjects of the renegade spread, interviews with young professionals shaking up their industries. Her piece was titled, Nor Tagori Makes a Forceful Case for Modesty. She got more attention for what she was wearing than for what she wasn't. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Like, I remember when it came out, I was on a shoot for another series that I was working on. Mm -hmm. I put it out, and I, like, put my phone away because I didn't think anything of it. And then, obviously, everything just exploded. But I just remember, like, for maybe three weeks straight, it was just yeah. all over the news all the time. And I really didn't think it I was mean, that serious. The
1: headline was the first woman to wear hijab in a Playboy photo shoot. So yeah, I think it was purposefully.
0: Oh, of course. A hundred percent. It was yeah. like, but there were also false reports about it. One thing I think that really kind of shook things up is that in like the Middle East, North Africa, playboy itself the website is Mm. blocked so nobody could actually read the piece so there were rumors about like what i was actually doing how i was posing and the lack of what i was wearing that's
1: so corny so
0: yeah people were freaking out about that but i mean i think that most people who reacted the way that they did didn't actually read the piece so Mm. to me i'm like and this is this is my way of thought for everything that i do is like I know what my intentions are.
1: Had I or any Muslim man been featured, it would have been such a non-story.
0: Oh, obviously.
1: So did you learn anything about the way you were being perceived?
0: The way I was perceived in the Muslim community is what I've been learning consistently over the last seven years is that we struggle just like every other sub-community struggles with this concept of horizontal hostility.
1: Mm.
0: Which is the people that you share similar values and goals with that you identify with, you have this heightened sense of hostility and strangeness between you because you expect them to live their lives like you live yours. You expect them to adhere to your standards. And we don't treat people as individuals that way.
1: There's been so many opinion pieces written about it generally, about like what women hijab should look like and how they should act, that people feel like they're entitled to say.
0: Because you wear it, that means like you must assume that you represent all of us. And that that, that kind of sucks. So I'm I'm 25 right now. When I was 18 years old, I posted a photo on Facebook, and it was a photo of me at an anchor desk. And I posted it on my private Facebook, and I said, this is what my dream looks like, and I'm going to make it this happen. This is the Let Nor Shine hashtag. The Let right. Nor Shine hashtag, right. yes. And I posted that photo, and I the reason I did so was because I had been saying that this is what I wanted to do since I was a kid. But what I what I never said before was that I was going to ever wear the hijab. Like I was so adamant about never putting on the hijab so that when I did put on the hijab, I was like, I can do this. I can do this. I will be the first because I had never seen it done before. And I wanted to do that for myself. And from there, I was really vocal about, like, my journey. And eventually, I made my dream come true. But even when I made my dream come true, like, I didn't really, like, hype it up and say anything like that because I had gotten so much flack about this message, quote, unquote.
1: So I do want to share something with you, right? So my sister, when I was growing up, she started wearing the hijab when she was, like, five years old. She's never really lived her life ever without wearing the hijab. That's just, But something that our parents... Drilled into my head, and because two other brothers, all of our heads was that we were supposed to protect her. So they said, Okay, no, amen it's your job as the brother yeah. to like protect her. Yeah. And so, very early on, one of the things that I had to unlearn from that period was that, Look, I don't have to protect her. She's her own person, she's way smarter than I am. So, I think uh, that's one of the things that. I believe has to be at play because people feel like when we're always talking about hijab is this lofty yeah. idea, we see women wearing hijab and we project those ideas onto them.
0: Yeah. I think that that just happens with like women in general. I think that we, society also feels very strongly about telling women how to dress and what to wear and, uh, and neglects the fact that there's choice in it. Like when I was working on, my documentary sold in America. One of the sex workers that I interviewed wrote a p- told me that she wrote a piece about how she related to Muslim women who wore the hijab more than anyone because society was always t- focused on like telling us how to dress. Yeah. I do think that when it's taught in a way of like, oh, you are responsible for protecting your sister, and your sister's also taught you are responsible for t- protecting your brother, mm-hmm. and that is what siblings are supposed to do, then that like to me isn't. Problematic. I think that when you take away from your sister's strength and intellect, then there's that. But there is also a conversation that has to be said about like toxic masculinity and rape culture in general of of how women are perceived. And I think that in the conversation of you need to protect your sister, quote unquote, um, it's more like how do you become an ally towards women in general as a whole?
1: Where I grew up was very diverse, but it was still urban. So my exposure for how people behaved and the way people acted and dressed was still limited. And it didn't really hit me until when I went to college where I was really meeting... Where'd you go? I went to Rutgers. And I would catch myself making comments about how people dressed and the way that they behaved. And now that I'm thinking about... like how that kind of came out of my mouth and why I felt like I was entitled to those opinions. I'm really worried about the effect that I had on those people. I'm really, I'm feeling guilty because I don't want people to feel more insecure or more trapped. Um,
0: but what kind of comments are we talking?
1: Like, for example, when I like first joined the MSA, there was someone who was wearing like a hijab and a, a sl- like a sleeveless shirt. And I was thinking, oh well, my sister was never really allowed to wear that. My mom there's no way my mom is wrong, so let me say ask her about it, right? But I was thinking, oh my God, what a horrible thing to say to somebody and just kind of walk into their space without knowing them and being like, Hey, I think this about your your outfit. Yeah. Like imposing that. So I'm thinking, what kind of effect did I have on people when I was when I was using Totally. Like using my like f- fake kind of self I
0: wish more people would have authority on would uh, yeah. would share that because I know that you're not the, obviously you're not the only person who had a similar experience like I just tuned out people like I've had people say things I have people say that about me all the time every day and I kind of just tune that out I think like I don't know if you also if specifically if you remember mm-hmm. a person you should reach out <laughs> to them and, and say it yeah Tell them. I would appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember like having those thoughts, and eventually, I would say them, and I wouldn't think anything of it. But now that we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, oh my god, like I don't know if that like may have had an effect on someone's self esteem. Right. I don't know if now they have like changed their lifestyle, they changed their habits because of something that some asshole said to them in college.
0: Right. I know that if I did not have the support i have i recognize that i'm very privileged in the support that i have around me with my family and my friends and my mentors and i know that that would have an effect on people and that has had an effect on people and i get people who message me every single day telling me they're taking off their hijab because of things like that damn yeah yeah so it penetrates very deep for people who are already struggling with it because that's the thing is like for one it's personal and two it's like a consistent struggle and so it's like
1: you want everyone to have the support that you had.
0: I would love for everybody to have support that I have. Because if I if everybody had the support that I had, I don't think that we would have the hate <laughs> comments and the in the trolls and the and the entitlement to to for people to say what they feel like they need to say or they need to get off their chest. Like that sense of entitlement says so much more about your character than it does the person that you're talking about. And. I used to tell, like, my mom would always, my mom still responds to, like, trolls sometimes. But she used to respond <laughs> to, to people. Absolutely. You can find you can find some that. of them somewhere. I love that. But um, I used to, she used to respond to people who would tell me, like, to take my hijab off. And she'd be like, okay, and if she does take it off, is it going to be on your hands? Are you the one responsible for that? And it's just like, are you not thinking things through? And you never know what people are going through. Like, I look at every single person, even the people who are the most vile to me. And I think like, wow, I'm so sorry for whatever you're going through. And either I'm so sorry for whatever you're going through or I have no idea what you're going through and I really hope you're okay. Um Sometimes I respond to people and say that. I'm like, like they'll send me really horrible things and I'll be like, (sighs) I really hope you're okay.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring On a recent episode, I opened up about how hard it is for me to let online harassment slide. When someone threatened me on Twitter, I answered it and tried to call their bluff. They got to me, probably because I'm not so great at keeping trolls out of my head, but it's something that Noor has gotten great at by necessity. It's like she's taken that pressure to be the perfect hijab-wearing Muslim and used it to her advantage. Talking to her is teaching me how that experience of being open to public commentary can be different for women. So I did want to talk to you about the way that men perceive women, not because you are hijab wearing women and people talk about hijab when they really shouldn't, but because of your now award winning podcast sold in America.
0: Um, We shot the documentary and the podcast became the spinoff. And in the documentary, I went on this whole personal journey of exploring the sex trade. And one of the first trips we actually took was to Seattle, where I spent time with men who were arrested for buying sex in this class that taught them about toxic masculinity and dismantling patriarchy. And I thought it was genius and I thought it was really great. But then I realized that there was still, it was still problematic to an extent. There's different ways though to understand like how men perceive women in media and how, um, how we teach men about sex and about how Mm -hmm. they treat women in general But going back to Sia for Sold in America, just like it was so interesting because there's so I mean, and we can go on forever about this, but there's so many Mm. complexities within how men perceive women, especially in today's like digital age. And
1: but just describe that, though. How do men see women?
0: we impose a lot of pressure on men as a society. I think men do a lot of that where they're expected to have certain standards to carry themselves a certain way Mm -hmm. to bottle things up and, and and keep things in turn. Like you can't really talk about your feelings or you can't talk about the things that you're going through or what it means to actually be a man. And in turn, we end up putting way more pressure on women on how they have to carry that. Like, a lot of times, like you go into relationships, and these guys who like have never shared their feelings with their families because their their families didn't grow up that way or um, have these conversations, just unload everything on their partner, Whew. and then it's like you expect your partner to be your therapist, and then all, everything that you know and have and have learned is from like the what you've seen on tv or in porn and it's just like n- things that are not real without acknowledging that they're not real and so you're internalizing all of this toxicity and not knowing how to get it out yeah and then further perpetuating like a culture of what it means to be a man and then dumping the responsibility on women
1: so how have you have you encountered that in your life
0: yeah oh yeah absolutely i've encountered it so but how like, do you deal with that i think you deal with it with like being so open I'm also like a journalist I probe I question why people think the way they think yeah, and I challenge yeah. people and I see the way people get uncomfortable and I also see the way that people like just sigh of relief because they're like wow I didn't realize I could be like that like I didn't realize um it's okay to like talk about these things
1: I'm, I mean I'm trying to I liked what you said about entitlement I'm trying to trace back where that entitlement came from for me how do you see things changing how do you how do we get men to feel less entitled
0: By having conversations like this, absolutely. And I know that that's such a cop-out slash cliche answer, but by having conversations like this that are held in a space like this, like it has to be something that is inclusive, that that says, hey, I'm a part of the problem too. What can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And it's like, everybody has their defense up so that's why like that's why I'm an open book like I will share anything and everything I will share all of the stories I'll tell you about <laughs> everything you just open up about a story that like a lot of people wouldn't feel comfortable doing and you, when you put it on a podcast like this people who are listening are going to be like oh wow I didn't realize like that that was me too I didn't realize I like I wouldn't be alone in this so i think that that is like a really great start and then holding ourselves accountable and those around us accountable. I would find a group of friends and have a conversation about this and watch the magic happen when people open up because they finally feel like there's a space where they can. I think that's the best way to start and I don't even think we're doing enough of that.
1: I felt a bit caught off guard by this conversation. Despite being the subject of ridiculous online harassment, having headlines written about her like, why as Muslims we can't support Noor Tagori. It's pretty cool to see how she's responded to that pressure with this much composure. The level of consistent scrutiny that Noor faces would have folded me in half. And what she said here really got to me, that it's not simply about saying less, but about understanding the effects of what we say and who we say it to, and that this is a conversation we should be having, especially between men. I mean, I was thinking that all I needed to do in a lot of these cases was to just shut up. But turns out, maybe I should speak up more. And that's the show. If you liked it, didn't like it, whatever, here at Man Up, we love getting emails and voicemails, and we'd love to hear from you too. Got thoughts on this week's episode, or maybe got an idea of what to talk about next? Leave a message at 805-626-8707. That's 805 ManUp07, or just email us at manup at slate.com. If you like this episode, please consider supporting the kid and leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. I read them, believe me, and not only do we appreciate it, it also helps other people find the show. ManUp is hosted and written by me, Eamon Ismail. Our producers are Cameron Drews and Danielle Hewitt. Our executive producers are Jeffrey Bloomer and Loan Liu. Gabriel Roth is the Editorial Director of Slate Podcasts. June Thomas is the Senior Managing Producer. And TJ Raphael is the Senior Producer of Slate Podcasts. We'll be back next week with more Man Up.